Lord gave me a message tonight called For and From. For and From. For and From. We have gone through the entire Christmas story tonight. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief summary, of course, of what we've talked about. I hope you all have enjoyed it tonight. Enjoyed singing carols and through the scripture and all that kind of thing. We've gone through the entire Christmas story. We started out tonight with the prophecy in Isaiah of a day when a Messiah was prophesied that he was coming and that the government would be on his shoulders. And he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I think we need to remember his names, especially in a time like 2020. Because we love to exalt him as Prince of Peace, yet we live a life as if there is no such thing as peace. And I think we need to realize that if he is the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, we have to live a life accordingly where his peace reigns over our chaos and his kingship reigns over our lack of kingdoms. And what I mean by that is we cannot live a life as if we can't have peace because of the circumstances of our nation and country and world, that his peace is the superseding government of what we're experiencing. It says the government came on his shoulders. We're going to get into this a little bit tonight, but what that means is his government reigns more true than our government. And I'm not talking about, well, I am, but right now I'm not necessarily talking about a literal political government. We're going to get into that tonight too. Tonight too. Right now, though, I'm not talking about necessarily a literal political government. I'm talking about the government by which you live your life. At some point, his way has to reign over your way, and his truth has to reign over your truth. And at some point, his opinion and his law and what he wants for you has to become more true than how you interpret it based off of your logic. His government reigns above yours. Amen? And then we saw how the angel Gabriel came to an unmarried girl named Mary, engaged to Joseph, and told her, you've been anointed with favor, God's with you, and you're going to become pregnant with a boy, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he will reign as king and be known as the Son of God. Pretty big announcement to a young 15 or 16-year-old girl who was engaged, not married. It's pretty cool how God delivered the Son of God through the most sinful-looking means. And I want you to remember that as we go forward in this message. Because a lot of times we look for God to be wrapped up in what we define God to be. He's got to look a certain way. He's got to be, look, be delivered in a certain rhetoric, right? Church has to be defined by a certain means. Christmas has to look a certain way. Jesus has to look a certain way. The Holy Spirit has to look a certain way. The Father has to look a certain way. We have to make sure that our God is conformed to our image rather than us conforming into his image. And then an angel came to Joseph in a dream. Because obviously, when you're engaged to a woman and she says, hey, baby, I'm pregnant, but I ain't done nothing yet, you start asking questions. And the way God answers the question is in a dream. And I want to touch on that for a second because don't think that the only way God can speak to you is when you pick up the scripture in a man-written text called the Holy Bible. He can speak to you however he wants, whenever he wants, through whatever mean he wants. The way he spoke to Joseph was through a dream, and that didn't stop just because it was a story we told hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Just because you don't know how to interpret it don't mean it ain't God. But what we like to do is we like to stay in the confounds of our understanding and don't like to get out of the box of could it be the everlasting, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the king of kings, who is possibly speaking in a way that my textbook can't teach me. 
isn't it funny we call him a God that we can't understand, but we never let him operate outside of what we do understand? I know. Amen. I'm just kidding. Well, then he talks to Joseph in a dream. And, and the, the angel in the dream says, don't hesitate. Marry that girl. That child is the savior of the world. It's funny that the angel called the child the savior before the child walked into the maturity of its purpose as the savior. Emmanuel. God became one of us. That's what Emmanuel means. God became one of us. The angel said, before you see that baby as God, name him God. Before you see that thing walk into its fullest maturity, I want you to name it in the fullness of its maturity. And I think a lot of times in our life with God, in our walk with God, in our life as believers, we are so scared to call a thing what it is until we see it walk itself out. And because we're so scared to call a thing what it is until we see it walk out, the thing never walks itself out because it doesn't know what its purpose is called to be. Can, can, I, can I dive into that a little bit? You see greatness in your children, but instead of speaking, you're going to be great, you focus on what they can't do and you speak that out. You see a great company, but you define it by its lack. And you speak into the lack instead of the greatness because you don't want to speak what it could become into its fullest maturity. I was talking to a friend of mine this week about the Ten Commandments and I was looking at the meaning of thou shalt not murder. And that seems like a pretty simple command. Don't murder. But if you look in the context of do not murder, it actually is talking about more than just the physical act of murder. It's actually referring to when we murder people verbally. In a moment when you speak down about someone's purpose, you'll never amount to anything. You just murdered a thought of the maturest form of that person. And you may not know that you've just created a stronghold in the mind of a child where the rest of their life they navigate everything through, I'll never be. So the angel tells Joseph, what I want you to name this child is not little baby in a manger, but I want you to name him God with us. Even though he's not walking in the fullest of that maturity, I want you to call it what its purpose is. And we're, is this okay? And we're scared to do that with the church. You throw around a name like apostolic, and people what you mean apostolic? What that is? What's that term? Is that for today? What, what you mean by... And we're scared to call something into something into its fullest maturity because we don't want to walk it out and see it go from a baby to a mature state. And we say we don't want to put a name on it until we see what it could become. And I think a lot of times God says, I want you to name it and walk into its name. Right? You don't call it a marriage once you've been married 40 years. You call it a marriage the moment you enter in a covenant and then you walk out the marriage. Right? I think if we can just break that stronghold when it comes to the unborn and call it life, the moment it happens instead of when we see it, we'll get a whole different context of what is life. The angel says, call it what its, what its purpose is, not what you're going to see it as. Not six pound, eight ounce, baby. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
And then they go to Bethlehem. Y'all know I got to joke a little bit. Because a decree is issued going out for a census, and Mary gives birth, and while Jesus was born, an angel announces the birth to shepherds. And the, and the shepherds rushed to see this baby in a manger, and the first thing they did was not only praise him, but the way they praised Jesus was they praised him by making it known to everyone they came into contact with. And I think it's time this Christmas for us to take an honest evaluation when you met him and when you see him and if you've claimed you've had an encounter with seeing Jesus in your life, whether it be the first time or the 100th time, is your reaction still a shepherdly reaction of, I have got to make this truth known as many times as I can with every conversation I can, or do you only make him known when you come to the eve of Christmas Eve worship gathering or the Saturday night service or the Sunday morning church experience? Do you make him known because he's so great or do you make him known because you check the, bark off, the, the, the box off of religion when you go to vote? How real is he to you that the moment you meet him, you have to go tell everyone about your meeting? But what we've done in the church is we say, tell everyone about your salvation experience, tell everyone about that meeting, and you never have another meeting, so you have nothing else to talk about. We don't understand that the meeting of Jesus, the meaning of God is an everyday relationship where you have new encounters to talk about a new meeting literally every day. And if you're not having a new meeting literally every day, then I'm sorry to break the ice, but you do not have the relationship that Christ is asking of you. Well, God's not talking to me. That's not how the relationship works, people. Trust me. He's got things to reveal and speak and speak into you every time you open the door. It's not a once in a blue moon. And it's not going to be this huge vision or prophecy or dream or, 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 or this crazy vision. It, sometimes it's simply, I love you. Sometimes it's, it's simply, I remember what you need. Sometimes it's simply that confirming thing in a conversation and you remember how real he is and your testimony, your story that day, like the shepherds told everyone, sometimes it's just, hey, I need to tell y'all about this thing that I had to experience this morning. He's real and he, he, he remembers me. I think we overlook the simple relationship sometimes. And then years later, we saw that wise men came from the east led by a star and then these wise men, these great men, they fall to their knees and they worship the child Jesus. And we know that it was years later because if you look at the text, it says when the wise men got the assignment to go look for the, the baby that was born, it says when they came to him, he was a young child, not a baby anymore took them years of faithful journey to follow to find that star that was above the announcement of this boy. And it says when they found him, they kneeled down and they gave him all these gifts and the, the, the three gifts among many believe many wise men. They wouldn't have, they were smart enough to travel in groups, not just three people. If they would have traveled with three people with all this gold, frankincense and myrrh, they would have got robbed. Many people believe it was more than just three wise men like the old story says. But what I want to point out is that when the wise men, the magi from the east, when they came to the child Jesus, it says they kneeled down to him and worshiped. And we live in a day and country where people are kneeling down to too many wrong things. Taking a knee for the things not of God. And no one's worshiping the true God. Because all we care about is what is our opinion, what matters to us, and how does this work for me. And that's the reason I want to bring this message tonight that's called For and From. Because we miss part of what the gospel is all about. 
We always talk about what Jesus saves us from. And it's a great message. And it's a true message. And it is part of the message. But it is an incomplete message. So can I try to teach you some new stuff tonight? Is that okay? For and from. Jesus came to the earth. John 3.16, one of the most widely known scriptures. For this is how God loved the world, that he, the Father, gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came because our Father loved us so much that he gave us his Son so that we will be saved from, everyone say from, so that we will be saved from our sin and saved from eternal death and purchased for the promise of eternal life. We were saved from our sins. We were saved from death. But we were not just saved from those things. And Jesus did not just come to save us from those things. We were saved from death. We were saved from our sin. But that is not where it stops. He truly did save us from our death. He truly did save us from the bondage of our sin. He truly did save us from the strongholds and from the chains and from the grave and from all those things, which is the call of the evangelical movement and the call of the evangelical gifts and the call of what it means to be saved. It is truth. He did come to save us from something, but he also came to save us for something. And that is the message that we have forgotten to talk about. And since we have read all the Christmas scriptures, I'm going to take us on a different direction, if that's okay, for a different kind of Christmas message. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everybody. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. There is a reason that word is capitalized. The Word refers to Jesus. The Word became flesh. Jesus did not begin to exist when he came into the world through a virgin, Mary, and got into a manger. That is not when Jesus started to exist. Jesus has always been. Jesus existed as the Word in the beginning, and through the word, life came through him. See, we forget that about Christmas. Well, it's Jesus' birthday. Jesus ain't got no birthday because he never started. He always was. Y'all Okay. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. It says he was with God and was God. And the word, who is the word? Jesus gave life to everything. The Father created everything, how? By speaking. It says he spoke the earth. He spoke things into existence. Therefore, life was created through the word, Jesus, which was God. So Jesus was the thing that life came through and Jesus was the means that God created everything with even before Jesus was Jesus. Y'all ever seen that? Now many have heard that but I want to read it again. I want to read the same passage in a different translation to give some more context because if God created life through Jesus 
then God had to redeem the life through the same way he created it. He created life through the word, so he had to redeem life through the word. Because God has to honor his own laws. So you have this law of what we call fruit. We talk about it all the time. You plant an apple seed, what do you get? An apple seed. Or an apple tree, not a seed, that's weird. You plant an orange seed, you get an orange tree. So if life came through Jesus and then we were dead, how does life come again? Through Jesus. That's why the only way God could redeem us was let me take the original way I created you and let the word through which I created you become flesh. The only difference in how we were created, before God could speak us into creation, the Father got involved and formed us from the dust and breathed his spirit into us and then called us into life. See, there was a three-in-one with man. That's, how, that's why we're so special. That's why we have an authority over the lamb because we were created with the three-in-one and not just one. See, it's all in here. Is this interesting? Okay. Let me read that this again in a different translation. In the very beginning, the living expression, this is the word, the living expression was already there. The living expression was with God, yet was fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning and through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things for nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him for his life is light for all humanity. This living expression is the light that bursts through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. Jesus the word before he was flesh was already the living expression of of the Father. Because the Father would express what he wanted through what? The Word. And Jesus was what? The Word. So Jesus was the living expression of the Father's will. Y'all following? Okay. The Father allowed all things to be made in his image, by the living expression of speaking it. Now watch what happens in verse 6. Starts talking about John the Baptist. Then suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John. For he came to be a witness to point the way to the light of life. Who is the light of life? Jesus. And to help everyone believe. John was not that light, but he came to show who is. For he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. For the light of truth, who is the light of truth? The light of truth was about to come into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered in the very world he created. Remember, the Word, Jesus, the living expression, always been. He created it because he was the voice that the Father spoke for it to be created. So Jesus was about to come into the very thing that he created. Y'all following? See, the kid, at least the kids are saying Amen. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. We were so dead that we did not recognize the very voice, the very living expression, the very word that created our innermost being. 
before we were in our mother's womb. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. And where we are at today is a lot of people have heard about the light of life. A lot of people have heard about Jesus. A lot of people have heard about the living expression of Jesus. But when we see his image expressed in sons and daughters, we'd rather keep him wrapped up in a memory of when he was here as a savior or as a messiah or as a crucified man or as a baby in a manger than seeing him as a living expression in the image of a living expression among the people in ways that are ever growing and ever increasing. Y'all get that? Let me say that one more time. When he came, the living expression, the word, the creator, the word became flesh, Jesus. No one knew who he was. No one received him for what he was. And where the church is at today, a lot of people know about Jesus. A lot of people in the church know what he did. But we would rather keep him wrapped up in this memory of Jesus died, Jesus walked, Jesus healed, than seeing him in the living expression among the sons and daughters of God that is ever-growing and ever-changing and is our ever-present help in our time of need, the ever-present God. And when we start to see him move among the people in a different way, Instead of possibly letting him express something new, we say this living God can only exist in a previous form. Y'all, I don't know if y'all quiet is a good thing or a bad thing. Because it's easier to limit him to the understanding of saving us from, but not the possibility of saving us for a living expression of the Father. He saved you from sin for the right, the righteous ability, the right standing opportunity to be the living expression, the mirror image bearers of God. And you know why we don't like that? Because it puts a big weight on our responsibility as image bearers. Because if we're going to be honest about it, the only way that the church is ever going to change a fallen nation is for the nation to see a redeemed people. Verse 12, but those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. He came not to just save you from sin, but for the divine privilege of becoming the children of the Father. And with that adoption as children of the Father, it says comes an authority as a son or daughter of the King, of the God of all. He says, I came to make you right, to redeem you, not just so that you can testify what you got saved from, but so that you can enter in with the authority to walk as the living expression as my sons and daughters on the earth. Think about it. Before Jesus came as flesh, he always was. That means when God created Adam, Jesus was where? He was there. Which means the role of son was not taken, this, this, is, this is 
the role of the son was Adam. The role of Jesus was word and living expression. And then when Adam fell, the father said, okay, I'm going to let my word become just like you as a fleshly son. And I'm going to sacrifice that son so I can get back my fallen sons. And my fallen daughters who have lost their living expression of me. Do, do you see how much deeper this is than just God killed his son for me? Look at verse 13. Is this okay? He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by a man's desire. He was born of God. So the living expression became a man and lived among us. When he gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth, John taught the truth about him when he announced to the people, he's the one, set your hearts on him. I told you he would come after me, even though he ranks far above me, for he existed before I was even born. See, John just confirmed it. He's coming, but he already existed. And now out of his fullness we are fulfilled. And from him we receive grace heaped upon more grace. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, he unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved son who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. And now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God truly is. He said, the son came. To get your seat back and reveal who the Father truly is. Do you know what that means? That means man had a wrong image of their Father. And the church still adopts it. The Father's mean and he's wrathful and he's so bad, so we've got to earn our right to get back to him. And the Father says, No. I bought you right. So why aren't you being my living expression? Why are you still trying to do church as if you can earn the right when I've already got the right for you? Well, you don't know my, my life, Kyle, because I live in so much sin. Well, I'm about to read you a passage of Scripture that says, if you are redeemed, you no longer have any excuse to let sin control you. So if you are still wrapped up in sin, that's not God's problem. That's yours. Why won't God deliver me? He has. But when are you going to walk it out in that expressed living? Are y'all understanding what's going on here? See, y'all laughing, but childlike faith is more powerful than y'all's. I'll get those kids to pray over COVID before y'all. Parents might not let me, but I... I, I love y'all. See, the gospel we hear is all Jesus came to save you. Jesus is your savior from hell. It's all true, but it's incomplete. When Jesus saved, what Jesus saved you from is to introduce you to what he saved you for, is to share his union with the Father, with you, and know in intimacy, not with a father as the dad of Jesus, but the father as your daddy. Romans 8, 11 through 17. 
The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no, 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 you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Well, you just don't know. I don't care what, what you think. If you give more power to your sinful nature, then I would have to ask you to really question whether or not you truly know him. I can't believe you just said that. Why are you judging me? If all you hear is my judgment, then that shows me that your lens, you need to get a new prescription. I'm not judging you. I am telling you that you are free. You are free. You don't have to live under any more bondage. You are free. You are free to live as the expressed version of the true you, which is a son or daughter of the Father who is not distant but is with you every step of the way. For if you live by verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, talking about the sinful nature, you will die. What does that mean? If you live a life where the sinful nature dictates your decisions, everything, every path that you are walking in will end up in failure. It's not just talking about death in the idea of, Oh, if I sin, I'm going to die. No, that's not what it's talking It's talking about it's going to end in the death of a thing. Death in relationships. Death in how you manage things. If you live by the sinful nature's dictates, it will never produce. If you live by the sinful nature's dictates, if you live by the sinful nature's wants and desires, you will never produce in those areas. So don't cry out to God, God, why aren't you working when you ain't including him in the expression of that area? He's already saved you from that. But you're not embracing what the four is. You see, we, we spend so much time talking about how, you know, well, I got to get my sin life right. No, 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 no. You need to understand what your identity is so that you understand you already have all the right to clean the sin up, not get the sin cleaned up so that I can walk in my identity. Don't get that backwards. Well, I, I got to get all this stuff right in my life so that I can be right with God. No! Nothing you do can make it right. He did it. God says, I sent my son and got it all right. This is what I saved you for. I've made you my sons and daughters. I've given you my authority. I have saved you for a purpose. You have plans. or I have plans for you. I have a purpose for you. I have an identity for you. I want you to walk in my identity just like I gave that baby an identity before he even grew up. I gave you an identity before you were even born. Now that I freed you from a false one, walk in the expressed identity that I have for you and go clean up that stuff and stop letting that stuff dictate who you are. You don't know my past. Get rid of it. It's in the past. It does not define you anymore. What your daddy did does not define you. What your mommy did does not define you. What they did not do does not define you. What you did in your college years does not define you. What your, what your ex did does not it doesn't define The only thing that defines you is the grace and redemptive power of God. Sorry, I screamed. <laughs> I had a moment. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, 
you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all, verse 14, who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we can call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. (laughs) I love that. His spirit joins with ours. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit, not just so that you can manifest gifts to show his glory, but also to affirm you that you are his. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Now listen to here that this is where it gets interesting. And this is where I'm going to close with this message, believe it or not. But if we are to share his glory, we almost share his suffering. Now, I know where you think I'm going, but I'm not going there. Because everyone preaches just the same way. Well, we must share in the sufferings of Christ, and we're going to suffer for, you know, while we're on earth, and it's going to be sin, and it's going to be trauma, and, and it's going to be hard, and we gotta, we got to take up our cross and, you know, die daily. and you know, I, Yeah, we get all that. We, we've heard that message 300,000 times. And it's a true message because God's saved us from that. And we, are, we have the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us and lead us. And we are supposed to share in those sufferings. That's very real. But we've heard that message a lot, so I want to give us something different for Christmas. Can you put that last scripture back up, Evan? Before it says share his suffering, we don't like to point out the other three words. Share his Glory. Hmm. So he saved us from death for a purpose to have an identity as sons or daughters. And as his sons or daughters, we don't just get our new identity and we don't just share suffering, but we also share his glory. What does that mean? Share his glory. I thought we were supposed to be humble and like, you know, and like not, not boast about like all that. Share his glory. What, what, is, what does share his glory mean? I mean, I, I get the suffering part, but what, 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 what is this share his glory? You are postured as sons or daughters with something that God had. He carries something on him that we have forgotten to carry ourselves. And I want to read it. The last verse, Isaiah 9, 6. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's going to be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You know, I think what glory we forget to share with him. If the government rested on his shoulders and then he says, I got the keys and I'm going to give the authority to you as the living expression of me. And he says, I'm going to go so that you can do greater things than even I could. You know, part of the glory we share and the glory of the fact that if the government's on his shoulders, say that loud, it's on ours. What does that mean, the government's on our shoulders? You see, this is, when all this was recorded, they didn't exactly have democracies back then, people. You think they were going to write this Bible according to every form of government that man made because we screwed up the idea in our minds? I'm not saying democracy is a bad thing. But let's not forget that it came about because of wrong establishments of fallen kingdoms. Because we couldn't trust men to rule correctly. And what's happened with democracy and the way our world is is everything's about 
trying to have a balance of powers and all this kind of thing. And this is what the church has done. This is what the church has adopted. Well, God's good, and God's going to do it all. And God's going to have his way. And what the church needs to do is, well, God's good. So we're just going to sit at our church services, and we're just going to praise him until he comes back. Jesus is returning. Yay. And God's good. Yay. And, you know, get healed. Yay. And the world's falling apart. But Jesus is good. Yay. And, and he's like, you're supposed to share in my glory that the government's on your shoulders. So can you walk as my living expression and go express me? Go express me to the world. Can you go express my ways to those that don't know my ways? Well, I don't want to offend people. We're supposed to be a rock of offense. Did you know that that's in the Bible too? Huh? I thought we weren't supposed to offend. The biggest way to love someone is to offend their position of living in a fallen, sinful nature. And you want to affirm it by saying God loves you just the way you are? That's not government. That's not sharing. The sharing in the glory of government is let me show you a way that supersedes your way. Let, let me show you a testimony of my life when I surrendered my needs to his. When I surrender my wants to his wants, when I surrender my desires to his desires, let me show you a better government. When I gave everything of mine over to that king and I live in a kingdom rather than the democracy of my opinion, I don't vote with God. I submit to God. And it's worked every single time. Let me show you how that works. And this is what happens. When we start to share in the glory of that government, it's not I get to vote my opinion. No, I'm going to vote with what my God says vote. It's not, well, I have friends that represent this and I have friends that represent this and I'm going to do what I want to do. No, I'm going to do what God wants me to do and if it means I've got to lose my friends and lose my family, I'm going to lose them because his government supersedes my government and I'm going to go with his government in every single situation I ever go in and if it means losing everything, I'd rather find my true life than live in that false one. And I know that that offends most of you or some of you in here. But it's about time we start saying, God did not just save me from hell so that I could live a hundred years of hell on earth so that one day I could walk through the pearly gates. That is not why you were designed for here. The plan is not that you go in the clouds for eternity. The plan is that you get back here. That's why he says, let me redeem you so that you can express me properly and redeem everything so that when I come back to restore what's left, you'll be ready to rule it properly with what you've earned in the government that you've been sharing in as my sons and daughters. Not just from something. For something. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a passive believer. I, I, don't, I don't want to be just another clergy or another sheep in the field. I want to be someone ready for when God says I need someone to Stand. He doesn't have to search for a David. There's too many Davids to pick from. Right? Sharing in his glory. You know what his glory was? He touched leprosy and it didn't spread. If we spent as much time arguing about 
vaccines and bills as we did touching victims. Maybe we would see more healings through our touch. And we wouldn't have to worry about diseases anymore. But we won't do it because we're not ready for that yet. And I'm not trying to make judgments on anyone in here, but just let me, let, let me just challenge you a little bit. I'm not saying don't be smart. I'm not saying don't use wisdom. But at some point, our government does have to supersede any other government. And if he says lay hands on the sick, our way of healing does not supersede his. And that doesn't mean go out and try it if you don't understand how to do it. That's not wisdom. But what it does mean, if you don't have the faith to go out there and do it, start building it. Start building a relationship so strong where one day you wake up and you say, God has given me the ability. And if you're not a part of a house that's like that, get in one. This passive Christianity that Jesus just loves us is not the full gospel. Because he didn't just save you from hell. He saved you for a purpose. And I'm calling the church to rise up and share in that glory and live as the expression of the Almighty, as the mirror image sons and daughters in this earth. And that's what the message for this Christmas is all about. This Christmas, let's represent him well. Be the light of the world, not just talk about it. Share in that glory. And let's start changing lives, shifting culture, and impacting our region. Amen.